I'm Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. Today's episode, we're going to talk about surviving life. Now, I know, I know that sounds a little bit odd, like surviving life. As long as we're alive, we're surviving. Well, sometimes the world feels pretty upside down. And, you know, how do we go about coping with life? And, and the, how we go about coping is a major problem in our society. We've been told growing up by the culture that life is all about having fun and being happy. And, you know, when we become adults, we find out that uh, that's not really true. It's not too accurate that life is all about having fun. And that's what we'll be discussing today. So I'm Christina. I can't even say my name. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. Christina Karama. So, you know, one of the challenges that we really kind of struggle with as humans is like this endless quest to find happiness and joy and purpose in life and peace, you know, and, and we want to know how do we achieve that. And so we go through all these different ways to achieve happiness in life. Um, the three main ways we try to achieve happiness in life are through personal relationships, money, and power. And money and power are lots of times our main focus because oftentimes we feel like we'll get the romantic relationship we want or the friends we want with money and power. That's why a lot of times you ask little kids, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I, I, I want to be famous. Like you want to be famous? Well, famous for what? Like well, because they want they want to be famous because they feel like if I'm famous, then I'll be popular and people will really like me and all these different things. So that's oftentimes why children gravitate, or even just adults. I mean, look at social media. I mean, the things we see going on with social media are absolutely ridiculous. You see people doing all types of grotesque and obscene things in order to seem popular. You know, I mean, this is a family program. And, and one of the things I like to do is I like to be honest and just say things how they are. But sometimes, you know, you want to refrain from something because you can still make your point without necessarily giving some of the more sordid and filthy details. But, you know, just things you've seen on social media. And, and I'm not talking, I mean, let's be real. On the Internet, you can find anything, like literally. I had a student once told me she saw a snuff film. And if, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what that is, that's a film where people um, find sexual gratification from watching people be raped and murdered. Okay, so how she saw that, a lot of these kids are on the dark web. Just a little FYI. And, you know, super sidebar, but that's one of the reasons why I'm against kids having cell phones. Don't shoot me down. A lot of parents do. A lot of parents give their kids a cell phone. I think it is totally asinine. I say that as a teacher, um, the things that your kids are watching on the computers and on the internet, you have no idea. And like, well, I put those locks and codes on there. There are kids at your child's school who will break that out for them, who know how to hack that system, the child will charge money in order to get around those little parent codes you think you got working. Trust me, those kids know how to do it. They know how to get in the dark web. They know how to do all kind of stuff. And kids are seeing all types of things explicit on the internet. But I digress from that point. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, you see stuff on social media, people performing all kind of bizarre sex acts and people are just sharing it online and people are doing it to me on social media. I had students talk about how a lot of their peers will have sex online. I mean, like 
I'm not talking about kissing. I'm talking about straight up full frontal triple X sex. Kids are sitting there doing this and posting it on social media because we want to be liked. We want to be famous. We want to be popular. And people, you know, or folks who go shopping and take pictures of all their clothes and things, you know, it's just, it's just really a bunch of self-worship. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong to take a selfie or a picture or something cool, but just, you know, you guys understand what I'm trying to say. You get, you get the point. You get the point. So the, the point I'm making is that we chase these things because we want power. We want to feel happy. But the main way we chase happiness is through money. And the reason why we chase money to bring us happiness is because we want to control our environment. We want things to be the way they are. We want them to be. Like, if you could think of happiness, it would be like your perfect day. Now, we all have our perfect day because I, I will totally tell you guys about my perfect day. And probably you're frankly not interested in hearing about my perfect day. But it will involve an amusement park and the beach and some really good cheesecake and pizza. Just so we said. You guys already, one thing you probably learned about me already is that my favorite food is pizza. Yay! But my point in saying this is though, it's those, so for me, my perfect day will be just everything I want it to be. Right. And that's one of the things we chase. One reason why we chase money, because with money, it may give us the ability to craft our environment precisely how we want it to be. It gives us the ability to buy whatever house we want. I mean, if you had a billion dollars, you can buy whatever house you want. You can get to, from point A to point B whenever you want. You can do all the have all these luxurious foods and go places and the pretty clothes and the shoes and the lavish vacations like a place I want to go so bad is to Tahiti. And that's extremely expensive. Now, right now, I could probably, if it wasn't for the pandemic going on, but I could go to L.A. or New York right now. But, you know, going to Tahiti, that's a whole other feat. You know, that's several thousand dollars, you know. So that's the point. We want to control our environment. So we chase money in order to find happiness. And we feel like that if the more money we have, we can survive life better. Now, in, in some regards, that's true. You know, if you don't have enough money, you know, this makes me think about this conversation I had when I was like in the second grade with my teacher and they went over needs versus wants. And I'm and she's listing all the needs. And I'm like, well, why is the money up there? She's like, well, Christina, because money isn't a need. And I'm like, um, actually, it is. I'm like, you can't get any of those things you listed on the board without money. And she's like, well, actually, you can if someone give it to you. Well, you know, someone had to pay for the things. Right. So money was still involved in me procuring these items, even though I may not have sourced the money someone else did. You get the point. But one of the interesting things is that we come to see if from time to time you hear these stories of these fabulously wealthy people like killing themselves. I remember I was listening to uh, a Christian. He hosted a show and um, his name was Ryan Reese. That's his name. And so he had a guest on. I forget the woman's name. And she was talking about her cousin who was like living in L.A., super wealthy. The guy was young, had a mansion. And like the guy committed suicide. And so for many, your average person on the outside looking in, it's like this guy had a mansion. He was super rich. Probably I, He was young, I, I, under 25. You know, you're super rich. You're young. You have a mansion. You have tons of money, which means you can have all the girls and the clothes and the this and the that. And then the guy still kills himself. And for many of us, that perplexes us and we feel confused. Well, one of the things about life is we have this false notion that things will make us happy. And, and, and they don't. They don't. You know, what's really interesting about being an American, I feel like sometimes we live in such a bubble. We don't understand how the world really works or how things truly are. You know, in America, we have the highest net worth in the world, in the world. 
the average net worth in America is $176,000. Now, many people may say, well, I don't have that much money. Well, let's pump the brakes here, folks. Well, first of all, even when you're comparing us with other countries, like other wealthy nations, the closest one, I think maybe is like the Netherlands, or I forget, and they're still like 140000 So they're still one hundred and thirty or 140000 So there's still like $30,000 underneath us. And the average American, on average for uh, like America, our disposable income is like $44,000. And a lot of people listen like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. Oh, that's ridiculous. Well, part of the reason why it seems like the net worth is so high is because we, we have more fabulously wealthy people. But even amongst people who aren't fabulously wealthy, they still have lots of money to enjoy their life. You know, a lot of my friends, I know they're not fabulously wealthy people, but they aren't they ain't poor either. You know, I don't really think I know a poor person, you know, and, and a lot of people may say, well, maybe you just don't, but I do. Well, you have to compare our poor to the poor of the rest of the world, which you have to keep in mind that the average U.S. income is about $65,000. The average global income is $10,000. Just put that in perspective. And, and on top of that, even the people who aren't necessarily fabulously wealthy, they still enjoy tons of recreational activities. They still are able to travel, at least within the U.S. I mean, taking a flight doesn't cost that much. I could fly to New York right now for like 250 bucks. I mean, I haven't checked lately. I don't know if the pandemic has impacted that. But flying around the continental U.S., you're not going to pay no more than about 300 bucks to get anywhere. And that's if you plan at least a month in advance. I mean, so we have all kind of going to sporting events and going out to restaurants and we have so much more money to enjoy. And, and, and our taste, when we call recreational, we always think something like real fabulous, like, well, I don't have the money for a $10,000 vacation or a $3,000 vacation. Folks, you can travel with 500 bucks. OK, so the things about it is and then on top of that, even our people who are poor in America, we still have social safety nets. Most countries do not have a social safety net. So like in America, if I was homeless, there would be a shelter for me to go to and I would have food to eat. I could get food stamps. They have Section 8 housing. So we have all the we have free health care. So we have all these social safety nets in America. The way people who are extremely poor, people who are disabled, like if you're disabled, if you have like a disability, you can get all types of government benefits. So even the people who are like there's no reason for a single person to starve in America. They're, they're just not. I remember once, um, one uh, class I was teaching, and this is when I was working with elementary kids, and this kid was, like, super poor. Like, when I say poor, I mean, like, him and his brother, like, the sole would come off the bottom of his shoe. And I remember complaining to the teacher. I'm like, we have to do something. What is going on with the parents? I mean, and the parents were so negligent. They were so negligent that when CPS went to the house, they found, and, oh, and let me back up part of the story, is the boys would always say they were hungry. They would always come to school really dirty, smelling like urine, and talking about how hungry they were. When um, when CPS went to the house, they found a refrigerator full of food and a washer and dryer. So the parents were just evil. You know, so the, the type of, when we see neglect amongst children in America, it's typically just evil parents who don't care. It's not because they just can't afford food and stuff because we have social safety nets. And then you have tons of charity organizations. So the point I'm making is that when you compare, like if in scripture, Jesus said the poor will always be among you. I forget exactly where it is, but 
a woman comes and takes expensive perfume and 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 um, anoints. I believe she either anoints his head or, or wipes her hair with his feet or what have you. Uh, but I believe she anoints his head. And and Judas, the traitor, said, "You know that money could be used for the poor." And and Jesus is like, "The poor will always be among you. You know, enjoy me while I'm here." And so I, I know that the point of what he was making wasn't that poverty will always be here, so don't worry about it. That wasn't the point he was making. But but still the 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 the, the comment is true. You will always have poverty. However, when you compare the United States compared to the rest of the world and you compare it throughout the span of human history, we are a, a very wealthy nation. We are. And with that all being said, we have a massive problem with anxiety and depression. And all anxiety-related disorders, which consider which with anxiety disorders consider concludes uh, like depression, um, anxiety, um, OCD, like all these different, you know, all these different anxiety disorders that basically call panic and fear and sadness in a person. So, eighteen point one percent of the U.S. adult population suffer has an anxiety. A, a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder. Now that's diagnosed. That doesn't include all the people running around here with anxiety and depression who have not been diagnosed. Those are the people who have to go to the clinic. And then amongst children, if people, um, they, when they say children in this, in the, in the statistic, they're talking about ages 13 to 18. Um, that's 25%. So that's, pretty crazy that about 20% of the adult population and 25% of the child population is suffering from some type of anxiety. And the thing about it is you would think with, and I just have heard stories like of people who have all this income and there are tons of pills because at the end of the day, money and things don't make you happy. And a lot of young people who are unhappy, part of the problem is social media because they are seeing people with, with all these things and all these material things that they don't have. There's been a correlation between social media usage and depression because what we do is we're constantly comparing our lives to other people. We see people with these things and, and, and being, especially a kid, you know, being a kid is tough anyway. I think one of the things adults forget is how tough it is to be a kid. We, we look at our lives as adults and say, well, you know, you're not paying any bills and, you know, you don't, you don't have bills to pay. So, you know, <laughs> why are you so upset? You're just, <laughs> you're just dramatic, you know, but they still deal with a lot of confusion. What is life about it? And what should I be doing? And where should I be going and trying to fit in? All of us want to be liked. And, and a lot of people say, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And to some extent, I say that as well. But here's the thing. It's not that I live or attempt to get people to like me. I'm Christina. Straight up, no chaser. I'm Christina. This is how I am. However, it would be nice if people like me. I, I would like for people to like me, but it doesn't make me change who I am, what I do, and what I stand for in order to get people to like me. I am what I am. But many young people don't understand that and, and they just want to be liked. They just want to be liked. So they they see the people on social media and they see everyone idolizing those people and thinking they're cool. So the young people pattern themselves after those people to fit in. And adults do that to a certain extent as well. We do this, think about like People magazine and 
and all this Us Weekly. I mean, it's just kind of voyeurism. If you think about it, we're just so obsessed over celebrity lives. Oh my God, did you see her new stuff? Oh, this is in for the summer. Oh, this is the hair color. Oh, this is the color that we should be wearing as a dress for the summer. Oh, did you see so-and-so's hair? Oh, did you see her house? Oh, did you see, you know, we as adults do it too. So we, we try to pattern our lives after this to see happiness. We want to be accepted. And the thing about it, we do all this stuff and we still are suffering from anxiety and depression and just general misery. And, and this is something humans have struggled with since forever. You know, this is one of the reasons I love to read my Bible, because when you read the Bible, you see that the problems we deal with today have been going on for thousands of years. You know, you think of the book of Ecclesiastes and it really speaks to this issue so wonderfully. And I personally believe that, you know, again, I'm this is just my opinion. You know, I believe that if a person is first growing, trying to grow in God, one of, to me, the I don't want to, all the books are equally important. They all have significant roles. But the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are so important to me to help with the issues of coping with life. Because... Proverbs gives you wisdom, but to me, Ecclesiastes really deals with like the, I don't want to say the bigger questions, but it just deals with like why. And and it, it's kind of many areas. It seems like if you don't read the entire book, that's why you have to read the whole book. What I mean is the entire Bible, you know, let me take a little bit of a, a pit stop here. If you are a Christian and you have not read the entire Bible, we got a problem. And a whole lot of y'all listening that haven't read the whole Bible. And to me, it really leaves a lot of gapes and holes in your faith because you're, you're, a lot of scriptures are taken out of context. And it's so interesting. <laughs> and this may sound kind of bad, but it's true. You know, um, well, during my time in theology school, you know, I had to take like an Old Testament survey class and a New Testament survey class. So I had to read the entire Bible. So like for the Old Testament class, we had to read the entire Old Testament for the New Testament class, we had to read the entire New Testament. And so, you know, when you finish theology school, you study the, you read your Bible differently. You know, one of the things I had to work on is not reading my Bible academically. And I, and I still do that, you know, so when I read the Bible, I like, I'm real academic when I read it. And, and it's, and, and there's a time for that because based on the, what I do, but also there, I need time for my own spiritual development and formation. But it's really interesting that after doing that, and I'll sit and listen to sermons, and I'll go, hmm, hmm, well, that wasn't the proper context that you just applied, but okay. <laughs> and it's not, and I feel any person would um, be able to detect that if you read the whole Bible. And and even if you, and it takes time. I mean, we're talking about 66 books. So it, the Bible is really like an anthology. It's a bunch of books, part of a larger book. Um, but even if you are taking your time, and that, 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 that takes time because you don't want to just read it to read. It. Here's a couple things. You're never done reading the Bible. You're never done learning. As long as you're breathing, there's more you can learn through scripture. And that's number one. Number two, you don't want to just breeze through it to say, hey, I read my whole Bible. You want to take your time to actually read and digest and ingest everything that you've read. Okay. With that being said, is that it's important to read the entire book. When I say like Ecclesiastes, read the whole book to get the read the whole book of, of Luke or John or whatever. Read the whole book and you'll get a better understanding 
of that verse because it's just like trying to walk in the middle of a movie. It's like trying to walk in the middle of a movie. If I turn on the movie, just start like at the 50 minute mark, I'm going to be confused. So at any minute, if I grab a book, if I grab a book, just we're going to turn to chapter six and start here. You're like, well, what about the first five chapters? Yeah, he's like, that is pretty dumb. So why do we do that with the Bible? I think we're going to have a full understanding of things. I mean, again, you're never going to have a totally full understanding, but let me say a more complete understanding based on our human fallibility. Let's put it like that. Okay, so back to my point of Ecclesiastes, uh, it gives some really great advice because we in it, it, Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. Um, and the thing about it is, is that he talks about all the things he had, you know, wisdom, the vanity of wisdom. Oh, you know, I am so wise and self-indulgence and hard work and wealth and honor and all these things that we as humans covet. We covet it so deeply and so dearly and we feel as though if I have these things, I will finally be happy. But here's the kicker. We all die. You're going to die one day. You will. I promise you that. Um, all of us, because that's part of the human experience. And the thing about it is, we all experience pain. You take a person who has all the money and power or whatever else we could possibly desire and their child dies. All that money in the world won't mean a doggone thing. They just want their baby back. We all die and experience pain. And that's why like, when you read Ecclesiastes, he makes several times, you know, he lists all the things, all the women and the servants and the money and the honor and prestige. And it's just like, it's falling to the wind. You, you can't take any of that with you. And as I mentioned earlier, you still will see these people who have all these things and they will still kill themselves. You know, I think of like an Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, 13, it says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. And this is after he lists all these things, all every earthly desire a person could want. You know, if you whether it's 1500 BC or 2020, people still want money, power and sex. Nothing has changed, folks. Humans are pretty simple creatures. We are. We are. And he says, again, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Because at the end of the day, it discusses in the book, you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. When you die, you can't take your money, your power, your prestige, your accolades, your accomplishments. You know, you think somebody like Steve Jobs, he died in his 50s. And from what I understand, he was a Buddhist. He had global prestige, global recognition, global success. His name will be sung through the ages. And it all appears, and again, I would never like to say, because again, I'm not God, I do not know. I was not there in his, his last moments of life. But from what it appears is that he is in hell. Unless he gave his life to the Lord. And what did all that matter? You know, anybody, you know, watch these like um, what they call period pieces. Like those movies that are set in 
2,000 years ago. And you read, you see these, like these hero films and all this stuff. And you see that I want them to sing my songs. I want people to sing songs about me. And it's like, okay, you've been dead for 2,000 years or whatever. And if you don't have a good relationship with God, what difference does it make? Okay, people can say your name. You know, you think of Homer who wrote the Iliad. It's been like 3,000 years ago. What, what difference does any of that make if a person is sitting up in hell? It, does, it doesn't matter. It, it, just, it just really doesn't matter. And I will cite this through the show multiple times. The, the logical case for hell. You know, I, I, and the reason why I keep citing it, because I, I feel like, you know, as people quest through life and try to survive in life, we do not focus on what most, what's most important. And that's why, to me, Ecclesiastes is such a beautiful book. Because as he lists all the things, all the things that humans desire and have been desiring for thousands of years, at the end of the day, it's all sowing to the wind. And he concludes that the most important thing is to fear God and do what he says. That is our duty. Not seeing how many men want to sleep with me. Or can I get some new purses? And please believe, Christina, I love nice things. I do. It's so funny. I tell my mom when anytime I go shopping or even online shopping, my eye always gravitates to the most expensive item. It is not like I attempt to. It's not like I say, oh, if the more expensive, the better. No, it's just like, oh, I like that coat. $2,000. $2,000. Who has that? Like, I mean, that's just, I like nice things. But at the end of the day, when I die, what will any of that have mattered? What will have mattered is, did I follow Jesus Christ? What is my relationship like with the Lord? That is what counts. What did I do for the kingdom of God? That is how you survive life. You cannot survive life without God. You just cannot. And let me take a quick pit stop here about hell. Um, a lot of people don't like to talk about hell. Because it sounds terrible. You know, we think to ourselves like, well, what about my grandma? She was a nice lady. You're going to say if she didn't accept Jesus, she would go to hell? Well, here's the thing, folks. God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly just. And the easiest scenario I can give is think of if your neighbor. Now, my neighbors are really nice people. They're, they're nice folks. All right. So think if you had a neighbor. Your neighbor is super nice. Okay. Let's say your neighbor was like a philanthropist, you know, just helping the needy, looking out for people and doing all these wonderful things. And then one day your neighbor shoots a guy in the face, kills the guy. But let's not even say let's let's take a less extreme story. Let's say your neighbor got to a bar fight. And hit somebody in the head with a bottle, left stitches all over their face. All right, and, and so they go to court, and the judge is handing down the sentence. And they say, wait, judge, 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 hold on, hold on. Pump the brakes, pump the brakes. I am a nice guy, and I do this, 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 and this, 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 and this, and this, and that, and that. Right? And then the judge says, okay, yeah. And you know, I'm fully aware of all those great things you've done. However, however, you still have to pay a penalty for the crime you've committed, which was hitting this guy in the face with the bottle at the bar, and he had like eight stitches going down his face. You still have to get in trouble for that. That's assault. 
It doesn't matter all the good you've done in your life. You still have to pay for the bad. And people say, okay, well, all right, I got that. I got that. But hell forever? That seems pretty tough. Well, you've sinned against an infinitely holy God. It's like this. If I commit, let's say I'm committing fraud at my job, right? I may commit fraud for a year. Or if I go and kill some somebody, I can kill someone in like five seconds. If I shoot them, bam, not even five, like two seconds, I can kill a person. Me committing fraud at my job, I'm, that might take a year. I may do that for five years. But why am I going to get more time for shooting and killing a person compared to committing fraud at a job? Because the gravity of the offense how long it took to commit the offense doesn't matter. It is the gravity of the offense. It's the gravity. So the gravity of you killing somebody, even though it's quicker, it's greater. So therefore, the sentence is greater. So you sin against an infinitely holy God. Therefore, you get infinite punishment. So, you know, and people don't want to accept that. And they say, well, that just seems so harsh. Oh, that people going to hell. It's like, okay, so do you think Hitler will go to hell? Most people go, yes. And what about somebody like a Jeffrey Dahmer or like a, a guy who rapes children? You know, oh, yes, of course. Who wants to be in heaven with those guys? Fabulous. So now we've agreed that some people should go. Now we need to negotiate who should and shouldn't go. And since me and you are flawed, we don't have the capacity to accurately, accurately make that judgment because we don't know everything. So only an infinitely holy God can make that proper judgment. And his standards are higher than ours. And also, if we all went to heaven, as we are now, heaven would be terrible. It would be, and then it would be worse than earth now. At first, I would say to people, like, if, if everybody went to heaven as we are now, it would just, it would be like earth. Actually, it would be worse because we would have to deal with every jerk since the inception of man. Now we only have to deal with the jerks that are here, here now. We would have to deal with all the jerks from the last 6,000, 7,000 years of human history. Who wants to deal with those guys? It would be terrible. So obviously some people cannot be welcome. And if, if people refuse to accept salvation, because see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit changes you. Now, to, to the, the mechanics as to why that new nature isn't fully realized after death, not getting into that. I don't, I don't fully, I don't have the answer to that question. But the reality is that something happens. Something happens. And so obviously some type of transformation has to occur in one's nature in order for one to be worthy to dwell in the presence of God and to spend eternity in heaven. Otherwise, it will be just like this. This existence now was 6,000 years worth of jerks to add to the mix. No thanks. No thanks. So I say all that to say is that we... The scripture is right in many regards is that when you live for God, not only does it help you grow spiritually, but it helps you cope with life better because you're living for something greater than yourself. And we're going to extend that further after this quick break. Welcome back. And so we were just quickly discussing about how people... Are, how, do, how do we cope with life? How do we survive life? And the thing of the matter is that we ultimately survive life by fearing God 
and keeping his commandments, as we learn in Ecclesiastes 12 to 13. But what's happening in America is people don't want to do that. That's the problem in America. People do not want to fear God and keep his commandments because in America, we are a bunch of hedonists. We are. You know, when you talk to the people who say I'm spiritual but not religious, it's because they see something in us craves God. We know there's something out there bigger than ourselves. But what people don't like are the rules and regulations. You know, and, and I know that sounds bad to say, but that's essentially what it is. Because, you know, God has certain expectations of us. And if you can't listen now, what makes you think you're going to listen in heaven? I'm, I'm just confused. And again, as I said before, if people are not going to listen to God, it's not going to be heaven. It's going to be terrible. So with that being said, a lot of people don't like, and then also the things God tells us not to do are really for our own best interest. I'm not going to get off into that right now, but there is totally for your own best interest. But nevertheless, people want a spiritual connection, but they don't want to submit to God. And so that's where you're getting the, I'm spiritual, but not religious. That's what I am. That's where all that jazz is coming from. But we are facing a major, major crisis in America. And I largely believe that the disconnect from God is what's precipitating a lot of the anxiety, depression, and confusion we see in America. Currently, as of 2019, you know, it's 2020. Perfect vision. <sighs> I saw that in one of the high schools that I work at. That was the kid's slogan for the graduating class. At any rate, um, so in 2019... 20, 65% of U.S. adults identify as Christian. 65%. 65%. And that's down 12% over the last 10 years. And it's just falling faster. What we're seeing a rise of are the nuns. So that means people who are religiously unaffiliated. So that includes like atheists, agnostics, and people who just say I'm not religiously affiliated. That number is shooting up. And the, the number of Christians is going down. And, and there's lots of reasons we um, talk about as to why, for example, this statistic is really upsetting that 70% of young adults leave the faith. So 70% of people who are raised as Christian, 70%, folks, that is astonishing. 70% of young people leave the faith when they turn 18. I mean, a little before 18, 70%. And, and that's oh, it's over 70. It's actually higher than that. But I one of the things I like to do in my show, I like to be very accurate. I do. So if I ever um, say something that's off, you can always jump on my website, send me a, a message. Like, Christine, you're wrong. And I'll check into it. And if I'm wrong, I will totally correct it. But I, I like I, I, I'd rather give a slightly lower number um, and be accurate than to uh, give a higher number and, and make things seem worse than they are. But nevertheless, 70% of young people um, walk away from the faith. That's horrible. That's horrible. And there's lots of reasons why. Um, one reason I believe largely is because a lot of churches are very shallow. A lot of churches are very shallow. Too many churches focus on the here and the now. And if we go back to Ecclesiastes, we learn that the here and the now is going to be gone. <laughs> The only thing that really lasts is God and that relationship you have with him. And so many churches are so weak and shallow. 
all they talk about is how you're going to get your breakthrough now. How you're going to get your victory now. How you're going to win now. It's all about now, 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 now. How God's going to bless you now. How to win the battle. The race ain't over yet. And I'm just like, oh my God, my ears are bleeding. Ugh. That's not what the gospel is about. It's about you're a sinner deserving of hell. And the only thing that matters in this life is getting your life right with Jesus Christ. And when you live for God, that's when you're no longer surviving life. You're living life. You're living life because you are focused on the things above. And when you're focused on God, when the trials of life come before you, it's easier to cope. Because your mind is fixed on God. That isn't why your mind is fixed on God to cope with life. Your mind isn't fixed on God to survive life and to not survive but live life. Your mind is fixed on God because you love God. See, the thing about it is, what if I only came around you to get something from you? What if I only came around for money to hang out with you because you're because uh, I want to look cool or whatever? You would feel used. And most people are using God. I want to have a relationship with God so I can get things from him. I want a relationship with God so I can have a breakthrough financially. I want to have a relationship with God so I can be healthy. It is gross. It is gross. It's like, no. You have a relationship with God because you love him and you're thankful. You just love God for his majesty, his greatness, his glory. That is why you have a relationship with God. But that's not what's happening in our churches across America. And so many young people grow up in these shallow, frou-frou churches so they don't see any point in still going to church. Why should I do this? And then a lot of churches don't address sin. They don't. You got churches promoting sin. I talked about that last episode. I won't get into that. This one, I want to stay focused on the topic. So they go to these shallow churches that don't give them any meat. See, I don't believe in being vegan or vegetarian. I Actually, I was funny. I was raised vegetarian, but now my mother is no longer vegetarian either. Because our body breaks down. So we need to replace what we lose with animal protein. Well, vegans and vegetarians, don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. No, animals are like people. <laughs> but the thing about it is, the thing, the thing about it is that when you, when you, the body breaks down. That's why we take collagen. If you are taking collagen, you need to take it. You do. It's so good for your joints. I like I had to squat down and get a, a pot. Like I just dropped down. My knees didn't hurt at all. I was like, yes, Jesus, that was great. No knee pain. You know, so my point in saying that is that you need meat, right? It keeps you full. It keeps you nourished. And so when we go to church, when young people go to church, they need meat. They need meat to sustain themselves. Because if all they're taught is Jesus loves you and he's going to give you everything that you ask for, just say it and he'll give it to you. If that's what you hear, then as soon as that young person steps out to college, baby, that's going to whoosh. The wave, the, the wave of hedonism in the world is going to sweep all that jazz away. And I'm going to be like, whatever. Okay, sure. Living my best life now. Living my best life. No, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and live my best life like this. Because they've been surrounded by a culture that indulges hedonism. And then they have people like, I mean, I went away to college. Okay, I did. And 
Like, I think my first night there, I got drunk. I mean, I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it or anything, but it's just the point I'm making is, is like, that is the environment. So you have a lot of these young people who were raised in Christian homes, and as soon as their parents say, bye-bye, I love you. And then their roommate is like, hey, you want to get a drink? Hey, you want to smoke? Hey, you want to go do this? Hey, let's go do that. And they're like, sure. And before they know it, they're swept away because they haven't, they haven't established roots. They haven't established deep roots. They haven't gotten meat. They haven't gotten meat that they can just eat and digest and sustain and nourish them. That way they can say, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, because you can't keep your kids in a bubble. You know, as, as as parents, you can keep your kid in a bubble. You know, you can keep them in a nice little Christian bubble. But as soon as they you keep them in that Christian bubble, they're going to go out to the world and, oh, my God. And then don't get started on sex. I mean, college campuses, oh, man. I mean, there's people just throwing themselves at each other like sex is going out of style. So when they're in that type of, and then let's add to it. You told your kid their whole life to trust the Bible and their college professor is picking, picking, picking away at that weak, shallow, my best life now faith they have. (laughs) They walk away. They walk away. That's what happens. And that's part of the problem. And that's why one of the reasons I'm into apologetics, because it helps answer those objections. But like one of my teachers told us, the best apologetic is good theology. So they have to know the Bible. And so that is causing a lot of it. But also it's just straight up good old fashioned spiritual warfare we're in as well. Um, And so what's happening is as these young people leave the faith and then they spend their early 20s just partying it up, you know, chasing sex, drugs, money, just all that stuff. But as one gets older, they realize I want something more. I want more. This isn't enough. It's just it's just not enough. And so they want more, but they still like their hedonism too. Still got to have my illicit sex. Still want to get high. And if I go to Jesus, those things are frowned upon. So how can I satisfy my desire for spiritual nourishment and I can still have my sin too? And that's why we're having a rise of paganism. We're having a rise of paganism and witchcraft. Currently in America, there are more witches than Presbyterians. <laughs> Think about that. There are more witches in America than Presbyterians. See, the one of the main reasons why witchcraft is on the rise and paganism is on the rise is because it allows you to be small g God. Of course, there's only one God. But it gives you a God-like sense of power because you can manipulate the elements. I mean, the only element I can manipulate is freezing water or sloshing water around or turning on my fan. You know, I can't manipulate or dig dirt. You get in a real manual sense. But when people go into paganism and witchcraft, they feel like they can manipulate the spiritual realm. It gives them a false sense of power when they're really messing with demons. I mean, think about it in school. And most Americans are totally unprepared for the rise of witchcraft and paganism. I mean, it's it's so obvious and it's getting so out of control. And there's so many people walking around oppressed by demons. I feel like a lot of the mental illness, some folks are like, that is so archaic. But a lot of the mental illness that we see is demonic oppression and demonic possession. I strongly believe that. 
because more and more people are getting into Satanism and, and, and paganism and witchcraft because it allows you to still indulge in sin and you get your spirituality too. And if you think about it, pagan worship oftentimes involved um, getting drunk, taking drugs. Uh, that's why in scripture, it talks a lot about cult prostitutes. Again, this stuff is not new. It's not new. A lot of it has to do with sexuality. Just think about it. Like in Portland, you see this woman here. She is parading around naked and she sits there with her legs open, like exposing her vagina to the uh, police officers. And apparently the people are like, oh my God, she used her female power to subdue them. And if you know it's a lot of witchcraft and paganism, now, again, guys, you know, I told you I'm millennial. We, we talk we talk blunt around here, okay? But a lot of these paganists act like vagina is some kind of superpower. Having a vagina, if you notice a lot of paganism, it involves goddess worship. It involves a lot of goddess worship. So it's like worshiping. And the reason why they're so obsessed with the female reproductive organs because they feel like women give life. Women don't give life. We nurture life. It takes a man and a woman. to. I can't. I, I'm not asexual. That's not possible. Okay, I can't just... Boof, I'm pregnant. I mean, it doesn't work like that. So it requires a man and a woman. But still, from the paganist perspective, the woman is magical because she receives a seed and turns it into a baby and nourishes the child in her breast. Oh, my gosh. You know, that that's the paganist view. That's the way they are. And so we're that's why they're so celebratory of this woman exposing her vagina to these police officers because it was just like, it's so spiritual. That's that's what they are. And if you want any indication of what I'm talking about, um, one of the things who's one of the most perpetuators of this rise in paganism and witchcraft are celebrities. They're, they're some of the worst offenders of it all. You know, Ariana Grande, she had a song called God is a Woman. She has a song called God is... This is what I'm talking about. Christians, you, you got to quit being squeamish. Got to quit being squeamish, folks. Let's Let's deal with the world we live in and let's fight back. And if we want to hide from like, oh, no, you know, then you're not prepared and you're not preparing your kids. She literally had a song, has a song called God is a Woman. And at the MTV um, Video Awards, she her performance involved recreating the Last Supper of Christ as a lesbian orgy. You heard me correctly. I don't need to repeat that. Then she had the Shiva, which is the Hindu goddess of death, above the supposed lesbian orgy that was the Last Supper just Total blasphemy. Just total blasphemy. And then after it would interchange between Shiva, which was the Hindu goddess of death, and a portal that was a vagina. Because that's part of paganism. It's female worship. And, and so that's the people who are entertaining your kids. So you send our, we send our kids to these weak churches. These weak churches. Then they turn on their, and they are boring. They don't learn anything. No spiritual meat. Then they have these entertainers who do this kind of blasphemy on the highest level. Just blasphemy. These, and these are the people who entertain your kids. And then we still ask, why are young people walking away from the faith? Because they're under a satanic delusion. You think, or, or Billie Eilish. She has a song called Good Girls Go to Hell. That's, that's the name of a song. These, this is what kids are listening to. You know, 
It was funny today. I was cleaning the bathroom. And, you know, I have a large music collection. And it's so funny to me that some of the songs I've listened to in my early 20s, I have to clutch my pearls and say, oh. like, if you're if you're in my demographic, especially if you're a hip-hop fan, Three Six Mafia, Triple Six, we, it, I was, like, in my late 20s when I figured out, like, oh, so that's what they mean, 666. Six, six. I, didn't, I didn't realize that was an OD to Satan. Like, I had no idea. And then when you listen to the lyrics of their song, it's just, like, it's not even just about sex. It's like gang sex. Like we're gonna. Why am I? You get the point. It was just like really vulgar and like super super obscene music. Like, and then I sat back and I'm like, and I had like a large place. I'm like, oh my god. Ooh, mm -mm, no, thank you. That song. Oh my, Trina. <gasps> Let me get this off my playlist. You know, you you. A lot of the music has been so wild and it's been programming our brains. And so these celebrities are, and so, and it's, it's getting worse. Because at first it was like a few rappers that would, or if, and even a few rock stars would talk about suicide and Satanism. You know, it's a, it's a rock band called Slayer. Like, it's just total satanic imagery, you know. But now it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, you know, in our society, I mean, we engage in one of the most pagan practices there is. Abortion. Abortion is child sacrifice. It's no different, than, and I say this all the time, it's no different than what the pagans did when the people would take uh, their babies and sacrifice them to Molech. It's really no different. People didn't just sacrifice their, their children to these demons because, you know, first of all, when we said these ancient gods, no, they were demons. Let's quit mincing words, folks. But when they would give their children to these demons, they were hoping to receive some type of financial prosperity in return. And people don't just get abortions for bloodlust. Women, women and men pay for men who pay for them because they're a lot of times a party to them. They get abortions because they are looking for some type of long-term financial benefit from not having a child to take care of. That's that's what it's all about. I mean, you think of Michelle Williams, like she got her Golden Globe, and she's like, "If I didn't have the right to choose," so you're like saying, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. You're saying that because you were able to kill your baby, this is why you have financial and um, and um, professional success. It's no different. It's, it's really no different. It's none. You know, so it, it's really, really upsetting. Or if you think about, like, even in, in New York City in 2017, they had the a, a, a archway to ball. That was uh, a demon. Um, again, and even like in school, we, we refer to these things as gods. No, they're demons. Like you think when we were kids, we learned about the Greek gods and goddesses. No, they were demons. Quit playing around. You know, and in our society, we have this thing where, oh, you know, these people came up with these gods and goddesses because they were having a hard time understanding the world around them. And that's what that was all about. So they created these false deities to make them understand. No, boo, they were dealing with demons. And you see around the world, if you go around the world, pagan cultures are the same. They all have a pantheon of gods that they worship. Have a pantheon of gods that they worship. And people are getting into that now. Like, I don't talk about my religious beliefs at work because I teach in a secular environment. But if a student asks me my personal opinion, I'm going to be very honest. And I had a student once say, well, you know, I believe there's a bunch of gods. And that's what people are gravitating to because, again, the witchcraft gives them a sense and paganism gives them a sense of power without conformity to something. It's 
just follow self. And we see Beyonce pushing that more and more. And she's really targeting, trying to target black people into embracing paganism. And one of the really interesting things is that her husband, Jay-Z, is, many people have said, is a Satanist. Um, I believe it to be true. I don't have any hard proof, but just by bits, things like his song, New York, which is a really popular song. And it's very catchy. I mean, it's a song that you like when you listen to it. It does. Sounds, sounds nice. But here's the thing. One of his lyrics in his song says, Jesus can't save you. Life starts when the church ends. He didn't just say that because it rhymed. He said it because he meant it. So this man disrespects Jesus and said, Jesus can't save you. Life starts when the church ends. And he's and he's speculated to be a follower of Aleister Crowley, which I will get into Satanism and paganism as a whole in another episode, but I'm dealing with it in the context of us surviving life because Again, many people are going down this road because they've rejected God. They chase because they want to chase sin, but then they realize they still want spiritual. They want something spiritual, but they don't want to give up their sin. So they're opting for paganism and witchcraft. That's what's going on. Um, but n- nevertheless, with uh, Beyonce, she now is trying to push paganism, especially she's targeting black people with her Black is King album. It's a really, I be, totally believe it's like a whole slap on the whole Jesus is King album that Kanye West came out with. Because as you see here in her promo video, she's reading a book about black gods and kings and whatnot. And and that's the thing. And in one of her this, this songs from the new visual album, you know, uh, one of the artists who's do, singing a song with her says, "There ain't no Bibles. There ain't no uh, Bibles in the uh, in the jungle." You know, and then in her one of her songs, "Black Parade," you know, with all this talking about I'm Ocean and I charge my crystals in the moonlight and all this. So, and and I notice a lot of people, a lot of people I know are getting involved in straight up witchcraft because they, I want to connect with my ancestors and our people were Christian before. And, and it's just say this is what I always say. Satan ain't smart. He is crafty. That joker is super crafty. So how he's in, in, in paganism, I don't care where you go in the world, it's all practice the same. They all use some kind of rocks and crystals to gain some kind of wisdom and knowledge and power. They all Y'all do it. It's not even novel. It's not even new. Come on. Satan, do it. Try to do better. But he don't have to do better because most humans are so ignorant. He, he, why? Why Why should he have to create a new strategy? I mean, it works. So why? If it, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And that's what's going on. So Beyonce is working overtime to pull m- more and more black Americans into paganism and calling it African spirituality. It's hilarious. It's not actually. It's not hilarious. It's sad. It's really sad. And, and I was reading an article. Oh, I, I wish I could pull it up. But like in Iceland, they're getting like more into Norse mythology. Like in a lot of the Scandinavian countries, they're seeing a rise of people going into Norse mythology. You know, it's just it's like Satan is is he's making people idolize their identity, their like ethnic identity, and it's causing people to go, "We should return to our pagan roots." This is what our ancestors did. First of all, you don't know what your ancestors did, especially a lot of black people. We don't know who our ancestors worship. And we don't know who was Christian, who's not, because a lot of people in the continental Africa were Christian and were forced to become Muslim. So you don't know what they did. So what are you talking about? You know, but that's not even the point. That's not even the point. I'm not getting off into that. But the point of the matter is, the point of the, the point of the matter is, is that entertainers 
are now marketing Satanism and paganism to people. Satanism is on the rise. And you talk to people about Satanism, they're like, oh, those people are just playing. They're just poking fun at organized religion. Really? So why do they always try to mock Christianity and mock Jesus? Why don't they mock um, Islam and Allah? Not going to do that. Why don't they mock Shiva or Brahman? They don't do that. They only mock the one true God. It's because of Satan. And so people are turning into these things to find happiness. And I'm going to communicate with my ancestors. Boo, no. There's no ancestors for you to talk to. And, and, and Satan, again, he's so crafty. <laughs> you know, one of the things, I, I my new thing, haven't watched one in a while, that I really like are Korean dramedies. Korean dramedies are great, by the way. They are. They are really great. I love them. Okay. And so I was watching one particular Korean dramedy and it was about how it was a, a pastor and his brother and they were going to find their mother who was missing. And so nevertheless, the brother was a shaman. And so when I was watching the movie, the brother was talking about uh, communicating with the ancestors. And I was just so, in, I was so you know, um, I found it so interesting that the brother mentioned communicating with the ancestors because I'm like, well, here it is. <laughs> this is in Korea. Uh, if you watch any of the movies of like of the Greek and Roman and Greek and Roman uh, people, people who believed in those, that pantheon, they talked about communicating with ancestors. And and you talk to um, people who are now getting to African spirituality. They talk about communicating with ancestors and all you hear and, and even like I believe the Day of the Dead is like uh, in Mexico was a form of communicating with ancestors and stuff. You can't talk to your ancestors. They can't hear you. You think of uh, uh, Lazarus and the rich man in, in scripture, how the rich man was um, in in uh, he was in Hades and he, you know, he was like a it was a fixed gulf or a, I, I forget. um so never it was like a fixed gulf between him and Lazarus, and he was this rich man. And he was saying, "Well, go tell my family. Go, go tell them. Go tell them um, what's going on. Go tell your, your, tell my family, so they won't come here." And the person's like, "Well, I can't. And even if we tell them, they're still not going to listen. You, you've been told, and you didn't listen. Or you think about um, with um, Saul, how he went to." Um, to a, a, a seer, to a, a medium rather, to communicate with Samuel. And when, for whatever reason, it was like a special circumstance where God allowed this, this medium to actually communicate with Samuel, she was like, oh, she was just, oh, she was just overwhelmed. And, and the reason why that's so significant, because if she had a habit of communicating with the dead, she wouldn't have had that type of response. But she had that type of response because it doesn't happen. For, but for that special circumstance, God allowed it to happen. You know what I mean? So it, it is so important to know that you're not communicating with no ancestors. Sweetheart, you're communicating with demons. And this is what we're turning to, to cope with life because people don't want God. And the only true way you can cope with life, you can cope with this existence, is with Jesus Christ. You can only get through life with the maker of life. And that is God. So thank you so much for tuning in to Solid Food. I appreciate it. Make sure you join me next 
week, which will be Tuesday, 7 o'clock. And you can check out my website, www.ChristinaCaramo.com, on Facebook and YouTube at The Christina Caramo Project. I'm also on Instagram at Caramo the Great. That's G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles.